Hello everybody, welcome back to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I'm Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt and Samuel Seaman after what was a very entertaining uh, one-all draw at Carrow Road between Norwich City and West Brom. Uh, let's hope this podcast has a better start than Norwich City did this afternoon, um, but I think that won't be particularly hard if we avoid any unforced errors. Um, <laughs> Paddy, how do, we, how do we pick the bones out of that? Because it was... It was pretty dry, wasn't it, as a as a game of football, but also as a Norwich City performance. Just to clarify, you when you said entertaining, that was with your tongue firmly in your cheek. It was a bit of sarcasm. Yeah, okay, it was just your delivery. I thought, actually, were we at the same game? Because <laughs> that was yeah. Oh, that was so poor. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted after about an hour. This must be the poorest hour of the season. But I wasn't at Cardiff, and you boys said after. After the game on the walk back up to Prospect House, Archant HQ, that, that no, Cardiff was probably marginally worse. So, hallelujah, I missed that because that was um, today was well, I mean, Smith himself, fair play, you know, called it poor, said he was angry with them at half time, um, more than frustrated with it. So, I guess you, you have to accentuate the positives, and that's another point on, on the end road to where they hope they're going. Um, but Concerning because it isn't just for me this game. It was off the back of two or three game days earlier. Cara Road, Bristol Rovers, Ro- Bristol City. Sorry, Bristol Rovers probably would have uh, got the win, but uh, that's Joey Martin's mob, isn't it? Mm. I tell you what, they were at Ipswich, weren't they? Midweek. That's where I got that one from. Um, but Bristol City should have won that game. I thought on the balance, and uh, and West Brom probably should have won today. So excellent resilience, but in the bigger picture. Um, there's areas they definitely need to be working on now because um, you know the same themes of concern are there you can't dispute it the lack of control across the middle of the park um, their inability to break down defensive fours it would seem uh, is an issue Uh, and I thought as a back four today they were a little bit you know a bit all over the shop so great unbeaten today with another point on the board but um, no that's that's not good enough really that's not good enough for where Norwich need to get to and it's not simply to get out of this division but can you imagine if that was back in the Premier League environment you know today and midweek they'd have been soundly beaten in both games and their flaws would have been exposed and punished and that's the difference in the championship they'll get away with it but by the same token they can't keep getting away with Really lacklustre offerings, I think, is probably being generous in these last two home games. Uh, and it's almost, it feels like, for me, as as mad as it is to say, you know, having won six league games on the spin prior to a draw against West Brom, but it's less the structure that's getting him through these games and it's more maybe the poorness of some of the championship teams they're playing, but also individuals in given moments are just doing something like a Pookie, for example, you know, showing his predatory instincts um, or, or or a key defender or Nunes doing something, say, in the middle of the park or Ramsey more recently. And, you know, I think moving forward, can you keep relying on individuals just to, uh, you know, come to the party and get you over the line? I think it needs a bit more than that. So... Yeah, let's put it in context. Norwich going into this international break second in the table, seventeen sorry, nineteen points from the last twenty one. That's tremendous return, really is. But I think I think we'd be over overlooking that there are areas of concern for me, and that was graphically illustrated this week. It's it's interesting, isn't it? And and just on, on the point around 
poorness of this game. I would only put this one above Cardiff because there was a goal from Norwich City's perspective, but even the goals were rubbish today. That's That kind of sums up how bad the, the game was. But it's interesting because you look at it from a West Brom perspective and, and if Middlesbrough win tonight, which they may do as, uh, as we're recording this, West Brom will be in the bottom three. They've had the performances, but probably not the result. I think there's an argument to say Norwich haven't had the performances, but have had the results. It's quite an interesting sort of contrast when you look at it like that. And it's just about how those things even themselves out for me because even though we are talking about 19 points from 21 Norwich uh, I think have started it's the second best start to a season in 10 years or something ridiculous like that it doesn't feel like what maybe the league table suggests it it has been Sam no and I think we've been talking about that as a theme for a long while really and I felt for them a little bit because on Wednesday I didn't think they were brilliant and they were certainly far from where their potential is as a group and the amount of talent they have in that squad but I don't think they've been perhaps as quite as bad as some have been suggesting. Suggesting, but today they really were that bad. They, they had absolutely no right to be getting a point from that, let alone three, which I think a lot of people were expecting going into the game. But it shows you how how fine the margins can be, even at championship level. And if you have a striker like Tamer Pookie who takes chances, that can be the difference between being first or second sorry, as, as Norwich are and in the relegation zone which West Brom could be by all accounts West Brom were the, the better side today I thought and have been a good side throughout the season um, but it's just that you know in the box they they don't have that quality that Norwich appears to have and that's why they're in the situation we are it's interesting to see these the sort of situations um, flipped because last season I remember having a lot of discussion about how Norwich couldn't really do it in the box and that was where they were having the issues between the boxes they were sort of doing all right and they were finding ways to make it difficult for teams but every chance that they seemed to concede seemed to end in a goal and every chance that they created rarely did so um, yeah I think they've perhaps been slightly lucky but you know you can't spend a whole season berating a team for not having the nous and the intelligence and the sort of cleverness to win a game and then when they start winning games by that virtue criticise them for not doing it the way that you know they were producing decent performances before um so you know sometimes it's it feels maybe too much to to ask for that but it's more about I think for Norwich fans the the signs going into the future and they very much don't look like a team that could amass probably more than 25 points in the Premier League at present based on those performances and I think what most people are worried about is whether this is sustainable. I remember the 2016-17 season under Alex Neal, there being quite a lot of very good results ground out actually in the early periods of the season, but they weren't playing particularly well. They didn't look like a very cohesive team with a very clear idea on what they wanted to be. And as a lot of people, I think, perhaps could have predicted um, during that good period, they fell off towards the end of the season. And I think the worry is that that's what's going to happen um, this year. I think the fact that Norwich look now quite far away from where they potentially could be is actually a good sign because it means these poor performances might not drag themselves out across the season if Dean Smith proves to be the very good coach that those inside Colney think they have then he'll be able to improve this group and he'll be able to gel them and and improve his players to the point where they will be one of the leading groups in the championship it's it's very difficult to argue they haven't got within the top three squads in that league. So if they can get to that potential, in my opinion, they will be promoted. But yeah, you probably do need to see um, an Im- improved level of performance from them, even if it's not on a consistent basis. It's, you know, we're seeing sort of one good performance in, in 
five or six on average across this season. So, yeah, I think they do need to improve, and uh, especially for the mood around Carrow Road and to ease that sense of um, tenseness and difficulty, they probably need to do that. But, you know, by the same token, if you'd offered Norwich fans second position and two points per game at this point in the season, I think they they would have taken it. So, you know, there are positives and negatives, um, but I think most of the negatives... Were, were there for all to see unfortunately today in, in that game and they were very lucky to come away with the point uh, I guess it probably comes down to how much you believe this Norwich team is going to get better because everyone's kind of saying it will click it will come and there are missing pieces and we'll come back to that it still feels very much like hoping it will get better rather than tangible evidence that it will at this moment it's, it's an interesting comparison actually that you made to the start of that uh, Alex Neal season which you, you covered Pad I mean I don't know if you can cast your mind back. It, it, are there parallels in terms of what we're seeing? Because Norwich were top at one point, weren't they? They started really well. I think they, they, they were top after about 12 games, lost at Newcastle, didn't they? And it kind of unravelled. But it, it's not too dissimilar. And we're not saying that they're, they're going to pan out in exactly the same way because, as we said, there's probably more mitigation this time. Norwich don't have a left-back who's, who's left-footed. We haven't seen Isaac Hayden kick a, a football yet. The midfield feels slightly dysfunctional. But in terms of feeling, do, do they kind of have the same feel around them? Because they were both relegated teams at that time. No, I don't. I don't think they do for the simple reason, and he, he admitted afterwards, with hindsight, when he when he'd been dispensed with towards the end of that season, that he'd been too loyal to the group who who got down. And actually, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, well, there hasn't been a huge turnover in in the squad, so maybe you know, maybe that is a pertinent parallel. It, it does feel though to me that there's been more of a refresh. To this group, and of course, you know, you go into South America, you're bringing in Zara, you're bringing in Nunes, Hayden, Ramsey. Um, it does feel like the dial has turned in terms of the players, whereas that was very end of an era. And, and as I said, Alex Neil, when he reflected on, he felt he was too loyal to a group of players who probably the hunger had gone a little bit. He, he would talk about, you know, uh, well, to be fair, Weber himself, because he, he came in, you know in very short order after the end of the Alex Neal era and he talked about inheriting almost a group of players who were you know past their best but they were earning very substantial sums of money relative to the division where they were in and the hunger wasn't there there wasn't the competitive element within the group in the terms that there was a huge swathe of that particular squad who knew they wouldn't play on a Saturday and basically were just sat in the stands picking up their money and and clearly that for Stuart Webber when he first moved in was something that was all that was wrong with that group and that culture and he wanted to get as far away from that as possible and so I do think it is different um, because it's also a different coach as well in terms of you know the, that was a Daniel Farker squad who, who essentially came down even though Dean Smith was in for however many months he was in but but this feels like a Dean Smith group now and what he's trying to do with them but um, the reality is you know he got a pre-season but and you touched on him there, and I think he is increasingly could be the kingmaker, and, he, and it's Isaac Hayden, and 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 a because of the part of the pitch he plays in, which was a huge issue for Norwich, and has been since Ollie Skip departed. The last time they were at this level, um, they haven't replaced him clearly, or hadn't in the Premier League. Hayden looked like the person who was going to give them that control and that composure, a deeper line midfield role, such a in the modern game, such a absolutely critical position. Kenny McLean, we see him again today. That's not his role. His his natural instincts is to get forward, and um, he's not good enough on the ball. I don't feel in that deeper position. I mean, there was that one episode in the first half today where he's turned inside and almost played a blind pass. Um, 
and I think that may, if I'm not mistaken, may have led to the penalty shot, which we'll get yeah. into in it did, didn't it, in due, due, due course. So um, it's a square peg in a round hole for me. Whereas Hayden clearly was t- was earmarked as the player who would solve that, and fundamentally, second week of pre-season, gets a setback again on the road to recovery from a knee issue, and we haven't seen him. The good news is after today's game, Dean Smith more or less intimated he would be able to train fully from next week onwards to start the international period. So you would hope that it isn't too far into the next phase of this season that we actually see Isaac Hayden. And of course, we'll have to be patient because essentially he didn't have a pre-season. He's essentially not played football competitively since December of last year. Patience will be required, but... And I don't want to put overly undue pressure on him, but it feels like you drop him in there, natural in that position, that's going to give them a bit more composure. It'll allow Smith to construct then the midfield ahead of him, which is what he probably envisaged when he made the signing, um, which you would think would be Nunes and Zara. Um, Ramsey now coming increasingly into the mix. And and I think once, and it, it's easy to say, but once there's, there's a, a discernible sense that they have that control across the middle of the park now. I think that, un- A, it protects their back four far better. B, it also unlocks uh, the, the, the latent goal-scoring potential of Pukki and hopefully Sargent if he continues in that vein. Um, and then the options in wide areas. It's, it isn't an over-exaggeration of state. I think Hayden could be could be the key to this um, because it just feels disjointed uh, at the minute. And they're trying to force it down a path, but if you haven't really got the option in a key part of your battle plan, then you can see where we, we're at at the minute, that it, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like it comes natural to this group of players. Um, and so, fingers crossed, there's no further setbacks for Isaac Hayden, and in very short order, he's in that Norwich midfield, uh, and it transforms um, what they're trying to do at the minute because it just feels a little bit like... Um, hit and hope from game to game. And and as I said, to repeat what I said earlier, they're winning games because of the individual quality they've got, but over the entire duration, and this might be where the parallel is with the Neil group and that season, will that be enough? Will it be enough just to rely so heavily on Pukki to do something in a game when it isn't really happening for them? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's not. It's not a di- uh, the role of the dice. I think you'd want to make. You'd want. You'd want them to be able to control games far better than they are doing at the minute. Yeah, completely agree. I'd throw Dimitri Shinulis in there as well as as another one. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Even two years ago, where the performances were pretty good, and they were they had um, Jakob Sorensen at, at left back for a prolonged period. When they suddenly got an actual left footer in there, it, it did make them look a better team. Kind of after January, so I don't. You can understate the influence of that, but it, it's it's a good point you make about individual quality. Because what do you do when the individual quality runs out? In that, when you're so reliant on it, if you haven't got the structures and the performances behind that and, and the collective unit, then it can make games very stodgy. It can make them very difficult, almost like today. And it's not it's not just Timu Puki. It's Andrew Mavanadelli at the back, who's been very good. Josh Sargent's been on a good run of scoring goals. That will dry up at some point, as it as it has done for for Timu Puki at the start of this campaign. All of those things will happen, and it's whether Norwich have the answers when when that does happen. And that's probably going to be interesting to, to see and I think all of it kind of coincides Sam and uh, we've been at Carrow Road now for enough games and I'm sure maybe I don't want this to be a criticism um, of, of supporters because you know it's the old chicken and egg debate of what comes to performances provoke atmospheres or do atmospheres provoke performances and we could be here all day debating that and everyone probably has a different view on it but going to Carrow Road this year has just felt very flat for me and I don't want to blame anyone necessarily for that because I think, again, there's a lot of factors and a lot of reasons to dissect as to why that might be the case. Um, but it does feel partly because of what 
they're seeing on the pitch at the moment. Would you agree? And would you agree that Road has been slightly flat in terms of atmospheres? Yeah, I think they've been built up over a number of years under Daniel Farker to expect a, a certain type of football club to support. They expect to be able to say, this is what I'm going to see um, from this Norwich team. And that's not Dean Smith's style. And, you know, there are plenty of managers, probably the large majority of managers across the Football League have that same attitude of basically the style is to, to win. It's to do whatever it takes game to game to to win games. And I don't think Dean Smith is necessarily a, a long ball merchant or, you know, I don't think he goes to bed thinking about pressing or possession or anything. I think He's, he's a just... problem solver, isn't he? Exactly, that's, that's exactly. The way I look at it. He looks at the opposition and he says... This, these are their weaknesses, these are our strengths and this is the best way to beat them this weekend. Um, and I don't, I don't have a problem with that, but obviously under Daniel Farker, I think Norwich fans got used to the idea that you know a part of supporting a football club is going to the ground, knowing how the team's going to play, knowing what it's going to look like. And they haven't had that under Dean Smith. Um, you know, There's also the sort of elements of perhaps Farker's personality, which were... Highlighted, he was almost a little bit, you know, he had a, a bit, stage presence, didn't he? Yeah, he was a bit like a, a sort of film star at times with the, you know, the the trademark hair and outfit and the the waves at the end of the game, um, and I think Norwich fans fed off that a lot, and there was a real strong identity to the football club. Now I'm not saying that's not there. I think there's still um, an identity of perhaps being smart and and thinking about data and ways that they can get around their financial failings by you know looking at alternative methods to succeed but unfortunately that's not quite as strong an identity to for fans to relate to as you know a manager that comes out and waves his hands in the air at the end of of a game and you know to it's nobody's fault but that's just the way that things are at the moment i also think the fact that this year feels like a bit of a holding year really because even mm. if they get promoted it's like so what you know, Norwich fans have seen their team get promoted from the Championship loads of times by now. Unless you were, you know, you've just started liking football in the last two years, it's not really a great, a great feeling, especially what's been on on the other side for the last few years. So it's almost like this is just a, obviously, it's just there to to exist. And the average performance, it's not a good performance, isn't get promoted. That's just average, you know. And then next year is when they can really make a success. So it's almost like there's nothing to aim for until, you know, the back end of next season. And, you know, we're talking a year and a half um, by then until Norwich fans really have any sort of jeopardy around going to the ground. And so for that reason, I understand why the atmosphere might be a little bit flat. Um, You know, it's also a a fan base that's taken a bit of a pummeling over the last few years. Remember when Norwich um, sort of walked the league in 2021, they were very rarely any fans present and it wasn't ever full for that whole season. So the large majority of what Norwich fans have watched for the last three, four years is getting beat. And it's difficult after that to go and, you know, have an incredible atmosphere and wave the flags with vigour and all that. I think I was slightly disappointed, to be honest. It seems like they've given up with the drum and I know we we made that a little bit of a, a figure of fun at the time. But, you know, these initiatives... I think maybe do need to be in place at Carrow Road because it's not a fantastic atmosphere at the moment and they only gave it one game which, you know, to be fair, it wasn't really successful as the atmosphere was was not great for that Coventry game. But to not really give it an, another go beyond that I think is, is disappointing and 
you know, you you probably do want to stoke up a bit of a better atmosphere at, at Carrow Road. As you said, it's a it's a chicken and egg thing, and perhaps if the atmosphere was better at Carrow Road, the the performances would have a bit more of an intensity about them, and you'd feel that intensity a little bit more. But um, yeah, there are various factors around it. I think that, but also mitigation around that, much like there is with the team on the pitch. You know, as 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 much as you've got Isaac Hayden and Demetrius Yunulis to come into the the eleven, you've got probably a promote or possibly a promotion to come the other side of the year that might egg them a, a little bit to to you know want more from from their team and to be actually enthused by the challenge that is Premier League survival and that they haven't achieved for a long while. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting. Uh, thing to monitor but it's very it's quite difficult to talk about it without accusing anyone because it's you know for being realistic it's somebody's fault but there there are reasons for it and you don't want to be too critical of anyone I think I think it's more nuanced than just saying oh it's the fans or it's this or it's that I think I think there are probably various factors and um, ultimately let's be honest about it the best noise that comes out of Carroll Road during a game is when Onel Hernandez warms up that's (laughs) that's that's the case I mean that's something on on all sides has to has to give for for that to be improved. And I'm not quite sure what the solution is either, because if performances continue in in the way they have been, it's it doesn't give much for fans to get excited yeah. about. So it's it's really it's a really difficult debate. And it's interesting what you said about about Dean Smith there, because I I do think fundamentally Norwich have got a completely different type of coach to the one they had before. Almost almost gone from an ideologist. This is how we set a team up. This is how they play from minute one, um, and we all tweak uh, sort of what we do rather than how we do it. This time it feels like they've got a bit more of a problem solver, someone who's willing to adapt and tweak and change things. And, I, and actually, I said this on a video verdict, I think uh, might have been after the Bristol City game. He's probably a better in-game coach in terms of, of seeing things in-game and making changes that, that have a material impact than Daniel Farker ever was. But his teams probably aren't as entertaining to watch. And if you if you put that into where Norwich City are right now, it probably means the championship isn't going to be as attractive, the performances aren't going to be as great. But when they get to the Premier League, that's a quality that they probably do need much more in a coach rather than someone who wants to play beautiful football. I don't know if you want to come in on that point, Pad. No, but I mean, both what you said there, I fully agree. It's um, That's the situation, I think. And um, and the problem then, of course, is if you're under the FARC of um, template, is they are trying to play a game that they most of the other Premier League clubs, when they do go up, do it better because they're yeah. better players. So... And that was then the 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 stick that was he was beaten with. Where's your plan B? Whatever he didn't have one. It was more of the same, but with inferior players. So if they can extricate themselves from this championship in a very functional fashion, then yeah, then we'll find out. Um, you'd hope, uh, given all the off the field elements um, that have happened recently, that financially they might be able to to, to also arm a Smith with a higher grade of player and then it'll be on him yeah and I wouldn't disagree I think in game he's superior to Farker um, and I always find when, when we speak to him after the game that he you know he's, he's clearly deconstructed what he what the game has panned out and, and it's hard to disagree with anything he comes out with I think in terms of how he sees a game and that's happening in real time so you know he's got obviously Shakespeare to lean on then and, there and, and Bramley as well I, I think um yeah, there's no doubt you you feel, and of course, you know it in the championship with the substitution changes. Didn't see it so much today, but a lot of these wins have been achieved fundamentally because he's been able to turn to his bench and have some very enviable resource at this level. Going at, again back to the individual element, 
um, to change games. That probably wouldn't be the case in the Premier League, but I, I do think your assertion is correct that he is a better in-game coach than Farker. But if it's aesthetics you want, then you know there's no debate. Farker's teams were far more pleasing on the eye. But does that mean Norwich fans have to maybe suffer a little bit this year and watch a team that isn't as aesthetically pleasing but probably wins in a different fashion? When we're kind of talking about performances, is it probably right to expect a Norwich team that maybe doesn't perform in the same way to the one two years ago? But with the end goal, actually, that it might be more applicable to the Premier League, what they're doing now. Well, I mean, time will, time will tell. But, it, I mean, it is worth, I think, drawing a, a distinction between the first Farker championship winning team and the second one. The second one were, were quite functional. You know, how many games did they win by a single goal? Um, I think it was around 17. You know, there, It wasn't the free-flowing Buendia and, and Pukki salvos of that 17-18 championship title winning season. So I think even then there was a refinement, but, but clearly even from that... Vintage to this one, it would seem under under Smith, it is far more functional. We're watching now, and um, it's an interesting debate. Would Norwich fans kind of buy into that if the payoff then is when they're back in the Premier League? What they haven't been in the last two Premier League attempts is competitive. You know, staying up would be lovely and would defy the odds. You know, but fundamentally they haven't been competitive. They've been so far off it in the last two attempts. Um, so it. I guess it, if the trade-off was that they would, you know, prolong their chances of staying up under a Smith regime for longer, much longer than they did under the, you know, the previous two attempts, then interesting one, interesting one. I think probably most fans would buy into that because, um, you know, at least then you'd think they were they were in common parlance giving it a proper go to stay in the Premier League, whereas the last two times it has been the the white flag has been raised and raised pretty early as well in both occasions. So. But the reality is, if they if they did get out this season playing functional football, they had a go and came down again. Then would fans be happy with that level or that type of football? I don't know. Then that becomes a different talking point. But right here, right now, um, it's definitely more of an attritional feel to it. I think if you're a Norwich supporter rather than uh, entertainment, and that's that's fundamentally what it boils down to. I think. Yeah, which is fine until you just stop winning games. We see that in football, right? It's it, if Chris Hutton would have won games of football, it would have been fine. Yeah. And, and that's that's the case when you play this style of football. But you know, as Steve Bruce said also today, his West Brom team probably, as we mentioned as well, on the reverse of that, where they're probably playing quite well but not getting the results, and he he's coming out afterwards and talking about how well results are the the be all and end all. So I mean, maybe it's um, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting debate nonetheless, and and there will be people, Sam, who. We'll be listening to this podcast saying, right, we're 27 minutes in. Norwich is second in the championship. They're taking 19 points from 21. And you lads are talking about maybe how it hasn't clicked yet. I mean, it, it, does it does it matter, I suppose, that, that Norwich are, are performing in the way they are when they are still getting results? Um, yes, I think because of this whole context of just the, the fact that it is the end goal is to be in the Premier League. You know, without context, it's... You know, I'm sure there are probably fans of other clubs. If they listen to this, would think, you know, this is pretty entitled. Bunch exactly, of exactly. This is an entitled lot of journalists and a fan base. But the context is that, you know, Norwich have been in this um, position loads of times, and you've seen big clubs come out of the Premier League, and you know their fans aren't going to be satisfied by Championship promotion. You know, the likes of Aston Villa have been in the Championship, and you know they got to the playoff final 
and the uh, and they lost in in the playoff final and the fans were sort of in uproar and you know that's why the context is so important and the context around Norwich is as Stuart Webb has said so there's no hiding from it the end goal is to to be a sustainable club in the Premier League and they can't achieve that this season no matter what they do so the only way I think that Norwich fans are going to be satisfied is if they see a team that they genuinely believe um, is going to to survive in the Premier League and you know, Dean Smith can say in press conferences as much as he wants and Stuart Webber, uh, I don't know what interviews he plans on doing this season, but if he if he does those, he can say as much as he likes the goal is to be in the Premier League. But these sorts of promises have happened before. Before the before last season, they were told, we're going to give it a proper go now. And, you know, they spent all the money and, and they were let down. You know, at the end of the day, they got 22 points. Um, so, you know, the time for talking is over and I don't think any Norwich fan... You know that's that's got anything other than optimism in their head is gonna solely base their their happiness on whether they're being told their team is gonna compete in the Premier League because ultimately you know what's the evidence to to believe that that's the case? They need to see a team on the pitch that they genuinely believe can compete in the Premier League. And although a lot of fans will be happy to see the team winning, they'll be happy to see that promotion looks like a, a very viable. Um, goal this season I think you'd be hard pressed to find too many Norwich fans who are watching that thinking oh this team would be decent in the Premier League so you know as much as they can't achieve that Premier League goal and in that sense Norwich almost can't win what you can do is look like a team that would be able to to compete and they haven't looked like that so you know perhaps perhaps it is slightly entitled and all you know the the basis of being a football fan is that you want your your team to win so you know, a lot of football fans would be satisfied with this, but the context, the context that wraps around Norwich City at the moment means that I think it's totally fair not to feel totally optimistic um, at the moment. So, you know, yeah, yeah, I think it does matter. But, you know, let's look at it with a little bit of balance and give them a bit of praise. If we've talked for a number of years about how performances aren't the important thing in football, you know, maybe we we should be less. We should discuss less how um, how important it is and how bad it is that they're not putting in those good performances. But you know, as I said, I don't think we're talking about performances for performances' sake. I think we're talking about performances as a means to evaluate how they might get on in the Premier League. And at the moment, looks like not great. And I think also from my perspective, and, and Dean Smith has said this as well. You tend to find that over time, prolonged period of time performances do eventually marry up with results. If you don't get them right, your results will follow as well. And I guess that maybe is kind of what I can foresee coming down the track, unless something majorly changes. It might be an Isaac Hayden, it might be Dimitri Shinoulis coming in, suddenly everything in the garden is rosy again. It does feel it does feel a little bit like an existential crisis, doesn't it, Pat? Because as, as Sam said there, ultimately, it feels like we're judging Norwich City on a very specific set of expectations, a very high set of expectations, but also with a view to what they might do in the Premier League when they're not even in the Premier League. So they can't fulfil that side of it until next season, potentially at the earliest. No, but that that, that is, and Sam kept using the word context, that, that unfortunately is, um, rightly or wrongly, what they will be measured by because the end goal is to get back there and the previous two attempts, different individuals in certain situations, um, but fundamentally the same outcome. And and I think it's right to benchmark this group against that. And that isn't 
to use that phrase, trying to be entitled or take for granted anything because it will take a hell of an effort from here to, to scramble back out of this division and back into the Premier League. We've all seen enough Championship football to know that's the case. But what then? What next? Are they going to go up again, uh, make a few signings, not be anywhere near good enough and come March the following season they're planning for the Championship again? That's just... Um, that's a torturous cycle, really. And I know there's many of other football league clubs, I think Weber himself said it in the most recent podcast, would swap places with Norwich and there's yo-yo existence that isn't necessarily a negative connotation. But I think if you ask most Norwich fans, they'd like to break the cycle uh, at some point and break it in, a, in a, an uplifting fashion and, and sustain themselves in the Premier League. And um, I don't think it's necessarily about, for me, it's the aesthetics of that debate and uh, that you want them to see them in the Premier League playing Man City-esque football. I think we'd all be reasonable, reasonably uh, aware or self-aware enough that that's, that's not going to happen. But it's the competitive element. And for me, I'm looking at this group playing the way they are now. They're not controlling games in the Championship. Um, and they're relying on individuals effectively to get them these results. Well, as we said earlier, they go back up a level. Those individuals have proven themselves not to be good enough two times previously. So... If if the if the if the structure isn't going to give them a chance, those individuals won't give them a chance. So, where are you? You're back in the championship again. So that's why, maybe you know, we're looking at these current performances and filtering them through the what if because we know that it won't be good enough in the Premier League. But you know, fundamentally, there's plenty of games this season. There's players to return, key players we feel to return, and. Smith now is able to build from a very, very solid platform, an enviable platform, in fact. And um, and if he's as good a coach as people seem to suggest he is inside the game and inside Norwich City, then you would hope that come the end of the season, not only have they achieved the objective, which is to be back in the Premier League, but there is a, a discernible, and it felt like we spent most of the summer just gone talking about this, the discernible style of play under Dean Smith, a structure and organisation with and without the ball. There's too many intangibles at the minute to say we've reached that point, but it is still early days, um, and I guess we just need to, you know, ro- roll along with it, and um, and hopefully it all coalesces, and we and we get to that point that not only have they achieved their objective, but you can now then go into the next season in the Premier League with a real optimism that, yeah, I think this is a more robust Norwich going back to the top table. Yeah, so so for me, I, I want to see a Norwich team that can see fewer goals, and I, I think we are seeing that at this moment in time. You, you look at and Daniel Farker outlined this. To be fair, you, you look at the the numbers around promoted teams. If you have a solid base, you're more likely to, to stay in the Premier League. And um, you know, as as I said earlier, bizarrely, even though I think if Norwich did go up this year, it wouldn't be as maybe satisfying as it has been in years gone. I think they've probably got a coach who's better equipped to deal with the challenge that will come next, even if maybe there's a little bit of suffering in terms of what the performances look like right now. But obviously, you only take the suffering right now if what is to come is guaranteed. And at this moment in time, it's, it's definitely not. And uh, even though Norwich are getting points, I still think there's there's probably some improvement to do, which may happen, as we said, when, when players come back. There are various different tracks it feels like that this could go from here uh, it could either go in in pretty much a straight line where Norwich City get players back improvements um, improvements happen and they go on and, and get promoted pretty handsomely there's obviously the the, the one that we referenced in terms of the Alex Neal season which obviously we, the direction we don't ha- ha- hope it takes but there's also probably a middle ground where the performances maybe get a slight uplift and they look slightly more balanced and slightly more functional 
but whether that was that whether that's enough to see them finish in the top two, say we'll, we'll see. Um, because they've played, let's be honest, two promotion, two teams that will be in and around it. I think this season in the last two games and been second best probably in in both of them. But they've extracted four points, so it probably may well depend on on how full your your glass is. Um, Good chat, and, and we've done well to get through 35 minutes of this pod without speaking about the game that we, we've just watched, which maybe is an indication to the quality of it. Um, Sam, as I said earlier, two really rubbish goals in the, in the game. One a set piece that when it happens like that, and, and you know, I spoke to Sam Byram after the game and fair play, held his hand up, said he, he, it was probably his error, uh, lack of communication, he said, but also there was, he, he felt that he got, he got blocked uh, in, in, in a legal and intelligent way. Um, but, but also that they hadn't done enough to stop that as, as Dara Roche ran in. But when you concede a goal like that and it's a free header from a set piece, it, it, it use that word again, aesthetically doesn't look particularly great. No, my first thought, to be honest, was set piece coach and they've brought in Alan Russell to to be an expert in that area. And surely if, if that's going to be the case, you shouldn't be outdone by teams to that extent. I mean, maybe if there had been something brilliant, but all it is is, you know, as you said, as Sam Byram explained, it's a block on Sam Byram and somebody's got you know, probably five square yards around him to just tap into into Krull's net. So I think maybe organisationally you'd like to see more from Norwich on, on that front. But also, you know, anyone that's played football and, and defended a set piece before will know that I didn't. I never used to head it, so I used to be up the other end. No, I used to I used to pretend to sort of challenge. I think if it, if there had been a a slight challenge on him then it might have been a bit more difficult. See, it's to... worse for me because I'm taller, so every, uh, I'd walk in and every, oh, here we go, someone who can head it, and I hated it, hated it. Yeah, no, I, I was pretty poor, but I also think there would have been part of me had somebody come in, you know, even at Sunday League level, had somebody had the space that Dara O'Shea had against the team that I was playing as part of, I would have been, I'd like to think I would have been shouting I'd have been, mo- been moaning on, on the, from the halfway line. Well, right? yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and I just think, you know, that communication is, was probably a key failing um, in that goal because somebody has to say something. And if Sam Byron's being blocked, somebody else has to take responsibility because once he's got four or five yards, it's it's not hard to work out where John Swift's going to aim that, that free kick. So there are probably a, a variety of areas where Norwich could have dealt with that problem both before the game and in their preparation um, and you know even wider than that in just generally improving as a team against those set pieces and also in the moment they probably should have dealt with it um, better but those are the sorts of goals which you just agonise over as a football fan aren't they really um, because it just looks so afford- avoidable and, and I remember actually saying to you um, as, as, as the, cro- the free kick was about to be taken I said back post, back post I think maybe, you know, should somebody in the Norwich team not have been saying that a little bit louder to somebody that could have gone and, and dealt with that problem? So, yeah, that was pretty horrendous um, to concede. Uh, but, you know, credit to West Brom for finding a way to do that because you shouldn't really be able to do that in a professional um, football game, to be honest. But, yeah, it's not sustainable to be giving away chances like that. Possibly you get away with it a little bit more in the, the championship, but, you know, these aren't amateur football players you give you give a any any decent professional football player the chance to to head it you know in the 6 yard box unmarked and they should be scoring a goal so you know you they they want to talk about fine margins and the 1 or 2% that maybe the focus on data can get you and you know player analysis and watching all that these are you know this is a 
10 15 20% that you should should be improving on in in a game and they've they've managed to let that slip past with a really poor goal so yeah that might have been to be honest the worst defending of all the goals they've conceded this season and as much as they've been impressive at the other end at times you know let's be honest there is quite a lot of competition for worst goal conceded they've made quite a lot of errors at the back and they really do need to cut that out because it's undermining a lot of the good work I think Dean Smith has done um, structurally they don't look like an easy team to play through to be fair to them um, I don't think they're conceding high level chances when they're able to get back into their block it's just these individual errors that they probably need to, to sort out and that, that will have to be a priority for Dean Smith and I'm sure it will be having seen that goal I imagine his his head was in his hands and he was absolutely livid when he, when he saw O'Shea with that much space at the back post. I'm no Alan Russell, which is not how I <laughs> intended to, to start a sentence, but it, it looked like they had far too many men on the delivery side of the free kick and not enough on, on maybe the area that it looked like it was going to be, it was going to be delivered in. And I'm, I'm sure when they deconstruct it, and look, you know, <laughs> not to ridicule, but they, they did score a corner against Bristol City, so they have felt the benefits of that. And actually, from in terms of set pieces, first contacts, I think Dean Smith has made this point quite a bit. They they have certainly improved it and, and they do look better and more capable from set pieces on the whole. But yeah, I think when it unravels to the way it does today, it's, it's a bit like zona marking. When when someone scores from a, uh, against a team who, who zonally marks, it, it can look really messy and it kind of felt a little bit like that today. Um, other talking points, they're few and far between, so we'll get through these pretty quickly, I suspect. Um, Steve Bruce felt his team should have had a penalty. Pad, do, do you agree? I, I think I do. You oh, said I penalty, you said penalty. I think it's a penalty. I mean, I thought what went in Norwich's favour was the ball tracking way beyond the byline, but then Steve... Bruce was adamant that shouldn't come into the equation. I don't must confess, don't know the the refereeing clauses around that particular part of the rule, but uh, but the ball did overrun quite quite considerably over the byline. He wasn't getting that ball, but ultimately, um, Hanley has clearly given the referee a decision to make, and yeah, possibly a touch fortunate. I thought what I was telling is when that was put to Dean Smith. He opted to focus in on the earlier element in the build-up where he felt Sam Byron was fouled in similar fashion uh, towards the the dugouts, um, and he basically said that the referee had shown consistency, i.e., he didn't ref, he didn't blow for a foul in Norwich's favour. So if it was a similar challenge, be in be it in the box or not, um, then you don't give it. But I didn't feel that was a ringing defence of uh, that wasn't a penalty, um, and I'm sure if the boot had been on the other foot. I think you might have found him adopting the Steve Bruce position, who, to use his phrase, called it a stonewall penalty and and was adamant that Norwich had got away with one there. So I guess I'd probably categorise that as depends if it was for or against you. I think if it's against Seen you... Seen them given. Yeah, that oh, absolutely, absolutely, all day long, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and you can guarantee Hanley's heart is in his proverbial when he makes that contact and, and Swift goes down as he's going to go down. So... Yeah, I think that's um, that's happening at the Hawthorns. It's a penalty, put it that way. I've seen a few people suggest that it would have been soft, but like, if if it's a soft penalty, it's a penalty, right? Either is or it isn't. So I don't. It's a penalty for me. I, I think if that would have, as you said, if the shoe would have been on the other foot, I think we'd have heard it from Dean Smith most definitely. Um, the the other one, Sam, was the Norwich goal, um, and I've seen a few replays of this, and I, I still don't know 
what part of the body Sam Byram actually scored with. And actually speaking to the man himself, I'm not sure he knew either. Um, it was it was onside. I think we've, we've seen enough replays now to confirm that was the case. There was a man both uh, over the far side, but also one in the six yard who, who, was, uh, who was playing Sam Byram onside. And actually, to be fair to West Brom, a lot of their protests were players just sort of coming towards the referee and hitting their, their other hand. So it was quite clear what they were kind of protesting. There was a, a period of, of conversation between the referee and the assistant. No idea why or what that achieved, because ultimately when the decision was made, I'm not sure how they would have changed it or how they would have justified it being changed. What, what's, what's your view on it? Have Norwich got a little bit fortunate there? Um, it was very difficult to see from the replays, but from the conversation you had with Byram, and the one we had with... Uh, with he was Smith. quite sheepish about it. This is what I mean. I think the fact that a player has told you he doesn't know if he's handballed it or not probably tells you... Well, to be fair, he, to he kind of... He, he, so he started off at that position and then he kind of said, I'm trying to get it the right way around. He either felt that it hit his chest and his arm. Yeah, that would be the natural. He wouldn't hit his arm and then his chest, would he? Right. So I think his point was basically it hit his chest before it hit his arm. And then Dean Smith said it, he felt it was on the, the old T-shirt line... That, that we're now judging handballs with. So, yeah. They're all very, uh, yeah, very cursory arguments. It's quite quite difficult to to believe that there wasn't any fishy element to it when the defence Byron is saying his R. You know, first of all, he doesn't know, then it's his chest and his arm. And, you know, but these things go, they go in, in various directions. Norwich have probably already benefit, or, um, been on the other end of some pretty poor refereeing decisions they'll probably benefit from some poor ones as the season goes on and they'll they'll suffer some difficult ones so you know i don't think you can begrudge across the the uh the length of a season you can't begrudge a team some fortunate calls um they're probably handily for norwich came when they needed them the most in their most you know potentially poorest performance of the season um but yeah as you as you say i think the the arguments that were made um, by the the various relevant individuals probably tell you as much as you need to know. From from replays, it's pretty impossible to see what went on with the Byron thing. I think potentially uh, in a few hours, when those those replays are allowed to be sort of slowed down and they're analysed a bit better, that might be helpful. But just from watching the the full speed replays, sort of on the monitors and uh, on social media, it's very difficult to gauge what actually um, went on. But yeah, as I said. There's no VAR this this season in the championship. They'll they'll benefit from some more dodgy calls, and they'll they'll also be on the receiving end, and they'll be very upset about some in the future, I'd imagine. So, yeah, um, it comes and it goes. But my my inclination on both the decisions was probably that West Brom have potentially reasons to to feel hard done by. Yeah, well, I I, I want to be fair to the referee on this on the second one. I think it it was a penalty, but. If he was watching that in real time with everybody with everybody else and I'm not quite sure how he'd have seen if that was handball yeah, or not, yeah. to be completely honest. It's, it's an almost impossible call to make uh, and, and it would have been very bold if he'd have said, actually, yeah, that was handball, particularly if, if even Sam Byron doesn't know and he's the only man who probably would and probably does know. But I think, it, it, wait, I'll tell you how much he didn't know. He actually, um, after the, the interview and after we stopped recording, basically was asking us whether we thought it was handball. <laughs> so maybe he was being genuine and, and, he, and he didn't know. But um, but yeah, that was interesting. I guess, um, actually, on Sam Byron, there was one, was there one last year that he scored that was ruled out for VAR? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was against now. But um, it was a pretty irrelevant goal from my, yeah. my recollection. But it was his first since, what, 2015? Might have been Tottenham. 
2015 against Nottingham Forest. I think he was a Leeds player then. Uh, he's obviously been out for a prolonged period of time. If anyone deserves that slice of luck, and and actually, I, I know you're going to reference two really big defensive moments as well mm. that that will probably get overshadowed by the goal, but also contributed to to a pretty good performance from him. Still playing out of position, still said to me, he doesn't feel like he's 100 percent fit. Um, he he deserves some luck after what he's been through. Doesn't he ever? Yeah. No, I thought that was 45 minutes where he did advance his his cause. I think prior prior to that second half. It feels like he's putting himself there in in the sense of you know maybe he doesn't quite if he's said that to you about his fitness he's still quite there in terms of his own mind and feeling his body's confident enough to hold up to the rigors of championship football given you know two years almost of inactivity and you know moments where he maybe feared his career was over so there has to be a few doubts still um, and of course you know he had a setback or two in in pre season as well it's worth pointing out but. Um, but I thought, yeah, I thought particularly, I mean, he could have had another goal. If you, if you remember, yeah, there was a yeah. lovely ball from Dow, found himself in a similar position inside the box and it was a tremendous uh, defensive clearance, which would have capped some story for him because um, I thought at the other end as well, um, there was a great block on Jed Wallace, went full length, blocked, and Sergeant hauled him up off the deck. And, you know, that was a big moment, I felt, because West Brom responded really well to that setback when Norwich got back on level terms. And then it, it was another deep in his own six-yard box in about the third minute of stoppage time and he's headed clear. If he hadn't, there's, there's a guy behind him probably putting that away. So I thought in the key moments in that second half, he really stood up and, and took a step forward. And um, that'll be big moving forward because I just have at the back of my mind that that first season when he arrived in the Premier League and he ousted Jamal Lewis at left back and deservedly so, he was excellent. He's had so many... Shh, Injury hell in between, and and the questions will probably still persist. Can he get back to that level? But if he could get anywhere near that level, it'd be more than good enough for Norwich, be it at left back or, as Smith alluded to towards the end of last season when he was fit, he could be a real big player in a number of positions. And Smith clearly really values his contribution and what he can offer to the cause. So, the only issue with him will be his body and whether that holds up. And if it does, I think you'll see Sam Barham more often than not in that eleven. Yeah, he's he's doing well at the moment, um, out of position as well, and on a left side that isn't functional whatsoever. Um, so so that's um, that's that's good for him and, and good to see as well. And and hopefully it will because uh, the uh, I think the end of last season probably came at a bad time for him in many ways because he was just finding his rhythm, then had a setback again in pre season, uh, and now feels like he's probably in the process of where he was when he when he initially returned of trying to find kind of his full fitness and his form again. So um, fingers crossed that comes. And the, 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 probably the only other positive really to mention, Sam, in a, in a yellow and green shirt was Aaron Ramsey, who again today I thought was 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 really, well, probably one of, if not the standout performer for Norwich City. Yeah, he was really, really good. And any memory, any rare memory of good team moves in that game usually came through him. I remember one um, sort of down the left side, he tried to play a, a one-two with Josh Sargent. I think that, or maybe it was Pookie that didn't quite come off. And um, I think his interplay is really, really good. And to be fair to Dean Smith, he called it when Ramsey was signed, and he's said it a few a few times um, when asked about him. That intelligence is really, really high for him, and the speed of thought with Ramsey is is massively high, and it's it's a really important attribute I think to have when you're you're in that position especially when you get to the higher levels where you know you look at the Premier League the pattern of play is generally that the centre-backs have as much time as they want on the ball and then the players in the sort of number 10 position have probably less time than than 
any player in any position across the history of football has had up to now. So the speed of thought and the intelligence is is a really important attribute. He's got that. There are other elements that you can always improve on, the physical elements, um, and probably the consistency typically improves as you gain experience as well. So I think Ramsey will, will probably go on to have a, a really good career, um, probably a, a much higher level than, than Norwich City, unfortunately. But yeah, um, he's sort of proven everyone wrong. I remember the, the scepticism and I, I wrote a piece where um, it's available on the Pink and Plus app now, where he sort of explained that spell at Cheltenham because I remember him signing and me thinking, why on earth would a team who's who is very much expecting and wants to be promoted from the Championship signing a player who got one goal and one assist in 12 games in League One with, with Cheltenham? And um, he said that, he feels that improved the physical side of his game um, and you, you actually saw him take a few whacks and get involved in a few battles today and I thought that was in, encouraging from a player who you'd very much associate the technical side of the game with um, and he also said out of off the ball he, he feels he's improved. Dean Smith, when I asked him about Ramsey and that loan spell, he said he feels um, the first loan spell isn't really one to judge anyone on and he usually goes for the, the second loan spell so you know, if you're judging that on on Smith's um, quota and his expectations, Ramsey's going to be a, a really good player. Um, and the fact that Norwich now have him, have him for another thirty six games um, in the Championship is is really encouraging. I think probably in a few months' time we might even be having that conversation again about isn't it a little bit worrying that Norwich are relying heavily on it a lone player but that's some doom and gloom that I didn't need to bring to this podcast and I won't uh, in you know I won't supply a long monologue on that topic just yet we're just throwing that in there and leaving just throwing that just just letting people worry a little bit giving people something (laughs) to uh, just stirring up that unpleasantness going into the international break but no I think he was really really good and he's been really good for a number of games now um and Norwich were desperately lacking in spark. Last season, a lot of people talked about the defensive inconsistencies. Physicality is something that has surrounded Norwich City as a weakness for a number of years. But in my personal opinion, that lack of creative spark was actually the biggest issue. And it's an, an intangible that is it's really, really dif- difficult to solve because it's a, a an ability in players that I think is hard to measure in stats. Um, it's very hard to recruit for. It just feels like Norwich have been quite lucky, actually, with their history of of players in that attacking area. So to have a player of his capabilities, that intelligence, that clear creative spark is a massive advantage on what they had in the Premier League um, last season. And perhaps he's he's gone under the radar as probably a decent shout for signing of the summer. I think as, much, as impressed as people have appeared to be with Marcelino Nunez, I think Ramsey's been far better, to be honest, than the, the Chilean. Um, and I think he's he's been a really, really big signing because somebody needs to create chances. And he looks in the Norwich squad the most likely person to do that. Um, you know, displayed in uh, in HD today, if you will, by the fact that he was the only person on that pitch, really, that, that like, looked like providing those sorts of moments at all. Yep. Um Pad, I'll tell you what I'm glad I didn't do, uh, write a column about how Gabriel Sara deserves a start, because uh, I think on the basis of that performance, if you'd written that column, you'd be really embarrassed, um, to, to, to be honest. Don't do yourself down, Connor. We all, we all can all go Thanks, down man. that route. But, uh, well, to be fair, I mean, I did put that too, not that you did a column on him. but uh, I'm glad you left me out of it, yeah. No, but uh, to Dean Smith about how he thought his first league start had gone, and... Um, 
without missing a beat, he basically said it. I think it was tough or whatever phrase he came out with. But essentially, because of the nature of how that game panned out, they got the early goal, then it was a bank of four and a bank of five. Precious little space, everything in front of. Bar one tantalising moment where there was that ball over the top, I think it was Byram. Yeah. He's let it bounce once and smacked it, and it was almost Van Basten-esque if it had gone in. We'd have been talking about that goal for a long while, you know, an angled lash that just cleared the crossbar. But... Um, a fleeting glimpse of what he, he might be all about. But, um, yeah, he really did find it very hard to offer any penetration and uh, felt a degree of, um, you know, sympathy for him because in a, in a different type of game, you know, I think back to some of those other early games, what was the game where they, they got two goals up early on? Was it Huddersfield or was it yeah, Millwall? I can't, Huddersfield, wasn't it? And the, the space opens up then because, by definition, you know, Huddersfield that night need to come out and attack and, and leave space in behind. That type of uh, backdrop might have suited his game, but this one definitely didn't. And uh, it was no surprise when he got the hook. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting now where Smith goes the other side of the international break. But I don't think he necessarily advanced his cause to be starting games on that, uh, the evidence of that very difficult shift. Good stuff, lads. Very quickly, because we're, we're against the clock. International break now. Sam, A, looking forward to it. B, anything particularly glamorous planned? I'm I'm not really looking forward to it. I like um I like going to football games is the, the, the honest truth. So, you know, not looking forward to that. I have a glamorous trip to uh to Derby planned for uh, university purposes, so that'll be fantastic. I'm very, very excited. I don't wanna don't wanna slag it off too much, but I can't imagine there are too many people that are gonna launch a staunch defence of Derby listening to this podcast. So um yeah, I think anyone that's been there will understand it's not exactly a uh, a long trip to Vegas, should we say? But uh, no, it'd be nice to have a bit of a break. But I'm sure um, in a few days' time, I'll be very much missing the football and, and missing um, sort of going to games. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to uh, to that Blackpool game um, very soon. I'd imagine. Yep, certainly won our best. Pad, same same question for you, really. Well, I mean, I was going to say, talking of Vegas, it's the Vegas of the North is the next away game. No, it's not. It is, that's what it's, it's known not. as, I'm it's sure. Not. If yeah, it's not, yeah, I've it just, invent, it just invented it. It might be known as that, but it's not. I, I'd, I'd maybe call it the Yarmouth of the North. <laughs> well, see, I, I have more favourable memories of Blackpool than you boys. I used to go football tours there at Easter, which Easter in Blackpool, trust me, it's not the best weather. Um, so I do have an affinity to that part of the world. But uh, and Norwich haven't been there for quite some time, as I recall, so... Yeah, I'll just start the long build-up for that. I'll be counting down the days, ticking them off. I'll have a big X on the uh, on the calendar until we can go to. Is it? It's still Bloomfield Road, is it? Yes, it's not been yeah, renamed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, but other than that, uh, probably fingers crossed. If you're a Norwich fan or you're Dean Smith, making sure that international contingent come back safe and sound because, as we've discussed at length, um, it's more on the individuals than the collective at the moment. It feels like, and heaven forbid, if Tumi Puki rocks back into. Uh, to Cairo Road, the other side of this break, nursing an injury or not. Hanley, of course, there must be a concern about him going off to Scotland, playing three games with that shoulder issue. So I think as much as we've talked up, you know, the prospect of Hayden and Yanoulis coming back in and Gibbs, maybe not a bit much longer beyond the international break, it would feel as one step forward and another one back if uh, the counterweight to that is uh, injuries on the international duty. So I think that's ultimately, from a Norwich perspective, what this next two weeks is all about, really, is that whoever goes out of the building comes back safe and sound. 
Good stuff, gents. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Of course, plenty more on Pinkin.com and the Pinkin Plus app, which you can get free trial for uh, by going to Pinkin.com and clicking the tab in the uh, in the top left. We'll be across, obviously, all the all the international stuff, all the news around the break as well, and then uh, it will be all roads to Blackpool, uh, the Vegas of the North. I'm just checking that. As no, no, it is, it is known as that, yeah. but I'm just saying it shouldn't be known as that. that that's more my point. Um, but <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you again very soon.